Hey there from the Stands fans. Keith and I hope everyone is doing well in these tumultuous times. For obvious reasons, there hasn't been much going on in the world of college football, but Keith and I are exploring new ideas to hopefully bring some college football content to you very soon. In order to maybe offer a distraction during these increasingly tough times, on that note, I would like to announce a new project that I have been working on. After I am done talking here, you will be able to listen to my new podcast, The Front Office. This show will be a bit different in that it is going to be a narrative-style story of some of the topics I find truly fascinating and often overlooked in the sports world. We will be exploring sports business, sports politics, sports history, and many more topics. Everyone, please give it a listen. I think you will really enjoy it, as I've had a ton of fun making it. We will talk to you soon. Everyone, please remember to wash your hands and stay fucking home. Welcome to the front office. I'm Cole Miller. The CBA, past, present, and future. Many of us have heard the news. A new decade means a new collective bargaining agreement and a new era of football. This new CBA will change the way we cover and consume football year-round. A new CBA has been signed. But many of you might be asking yourself, what the fuck does that mean? Well, think of the NFL much like you would think of a major corporation, which, of course, it is. The NFL made an estimated $15 billion in 2018. To put that in perspective, Uber, the ride-sharing app, made $11 billion. Now, to truly understand the CBA, we really have to take a trip back in time. When the NFL started in 1920, it was much less popular than it is today. In fact, college football and just about every other major sport were watched more frequently. What this meant for the players is that they had much less bargaining power. Contracts were tough. They could be without guarantees or pensions. Owners could do just about whatever they wanted with those contracts. Things that we could not possibly imagine happening in the NFL today. And that lasted for almost 50 years. Essentially, owners of teams owned their players as well. That is, up until 1968. But we will get to that. Around this time, labor unions were becoming extraordinarily popular. In fact, this was an era of booming labor unions in the United States. Around 1968, we were seeing rising tensions between unions and corporations. We saw unions becoming more protected by federal laws, and with that, much more incentive for unions to strike. Now, what did that mean for the NFL? In 1956, the players got a labor union of their own. The National Football League Players Association, or NFLPA. For the first few years of its existence, the NFLPA had plenty of struggles. The NFL wouldn't recognize the union, so players had to deal with owners directly on contract talks. Now keep in mind, most of the players weren't lawyers or businessmen, and really had no ability to negotiate successfully. Although, there were of course some who were savvier than others. As time progressed, the union became stronger and stronger because more players joined. And then in 1968, the players had had enough. The NFLPA voted to go on strike in order to put pressure on owners to increase minimum salaries, pensions, and other benefits for its players. It took only 11 days of work stoppage for the owners to cave, and the first collective bargaining agreement was reached between the NFL and the NFLPA, 
marking the first time the NFLPA was first recognized in writing by the NFL owners. The players had achieved victory. Their accomplishments were a minimum salary of $9,000 for rookie players and a minimum salary of $10,000 for veteran players. My how things have changed. This would be the start of many contentious labor negotiations for the NFL and the NFLPA. In fact, with this latest agreement, we have seen a total of eight CBAs altogether. To reach these eight agreements, we have seen several strikes and lockouts, but none of them would match what we saw in 1987. Well, right now they're still talking in Philadelphia, but they say nothing major has been accomplished. No strike news imminent that this may be settled anytime soon, but talks continue, and that's a hopeful sign. Negotiators continue to seek a peaceful end to a day that threatened violence. 1987 was a dark time for the NFL. It all started when the league and the players were unable to reach an agreement on a new CBA by an August deadline. The players had authorized a strike that would begin on September 22nd, which was the second week of the NFL season. While tensions were beginning to boil over, owners insisted that even if the players were to walk out, the show would go on hiring what would become known as scabs. And when September 22nd came, the players walked out, marking the second strike in only six years. And this outraged the public, and rightly so. In 1982, the players had done something similar. They played the first two weeks and then went on strike, causing a loss of seven weeks of football. And the players really did not gain much from that strike. This strike was mainly because the players wanted the right to free agency as well as other compensation. But free agency was the biggest sticking point for players and owners. The owners thought that they had a plan. Put anyone on the field to prove to the public that the NFL was the entity and not based on the players. And also use their PR teams to make owners seem like they were the aggrieved. This was a fascinating time period for the NFL. There are actually a few warm stories that came out during this time, like the scab team for Washington that had so much success that they won the three lockout games, which set up the eventual returning Washington team up for a glorious Super Bowl run. Oh, and if that sounds familiar, it was the inspiration for the year 2000 film starring Keanu Reeves, The Replacement. However, what was really happening was much more negative. This afternoon, oiler free agents were the targets of rocks and eggs from the veterans. And Paul Kaufman and Dino Hackett of the Chiefs rode shotgun on scab patrol. They said the guns weren't loaded. While the NFL hired players, construction workers, plumbers to fill out their rosters, the players held picket lines outside the stadiums and even during games. The fans got to stop throwing crap. We just saw a guy get hit in the head and he's down, split his head wide open. The fans have got to control themselves. People are getting hurt. Then came October 4th, which would forever be known as the darkest day in NFL history. The Chicago Bears were on the road to play the Philadelphia Eagles, but the original Eagles players were not having it. They showed up to build human barricades at all entry points into Veteran Stadium. Physical violence ensued. Players were throwing eggs, fists, and pretty much whatever they could get their hands on. Tensions continued to run high but the players were starting to see that the owners were not going to back down. So the union decided to vote to end the strike and pursue legal action in order to have their demands met. The two sides would operate without a CBA until 1993, five years later. 
While numerous legal cases were processed, after a major legal win for the players, negotiations about free agency opened back up. Finally, a seven-year CBA was signed that allowed unlimited free agency, but as you might expect, some restrictions remained. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this, one, I find it incredibly fascinating, but two, it's extremely important to understand just how big of a deal these CBAs can be. There hasn't been a blow-up quite like the strike of 1987, thankfully, but tensions seem to run high around every CBA, which brings us to the latest collective bargaining agreement. There were many projections that this agreement could be delayed or even lead players to strike yet again. But it really went quite smoothly, in fact, conspicuously smoothly. In the 2020 CBA, there are six major changes that I believe will have massive impacts on the game of football. Number one, the 17-game season. The new CBA paves the way for the NFL to expand from a 16-game season to a 17-game season. This will expand the NFL regular season to 18 weeks total, a move that angers many players, but owners, of course, love it. 2021 will be the earliest the change could happen, but we aren't 100% sure when it will. Number two, a shortened preseason. The NFL will go from four preseason matchups to three, with a bye in place of the fourth game. It will also impose new limits on padded practices to no more than two and a half hours and no more 16 days total. Number three, revenue split. Beginning in 2021, the players will be guaranteed to receive 48% of the revenue. That is up from 47% in 2020. When the season eventually expands to 17 games, the players will be guaranteed 48.8%. This is a bit shocking, as the NHL, the MLB, and the NBA all make closer to around 50% player share, which is just a fascinating point. Number four, drug policy changes. The new CBA will dramatically change the rules of marijuana use. Previously, the NFL tested in a four-month window, but will now only test in a two-week time slot at the start of training camp. It will also increase the amount of THC that constitutes a positive test and eliminate suspensions as punishment. Number five, roster size increases. NFL rosters will now have 55 total spots, which is an increase from 53 while also having two additional players active during games. Number six, new playoff format. The playoff field will expand by one extra team from each conference, bringing the field to seven teams from the AFC and seven teams from the NFC. This will take effect immediately, which means that only the one seeds will have a first round bye. How will these changes have some long-term effects on the game? I, of course have some thoughts. While a 17-game season will bring in tons of added revenue, it will also increase risk of injury for players. In a league that has recently been plagued with headline after headline about its dangers to players, I have a hard time figuring out how adding an extra regular season game and two extra playoff games will make the players safer. Another week of competitive football will almost certainly increase injuries, while making rich, old, white men even richer. The thought that removing a preseason game and limiting practices will build more durability seems naive. 
Not all NFL players are like Tom Brady, working viciously in the offseason to prep for the actual season. In fact, many players do not do much work in the offseason and simply play themselves into shape during OTAs, the preseason, and even in the early weeks of the season. I fear with fewer practices and preseason games, we may actually see more injuries in the early parts of the season. Fewer padded practices have huge implications. Think about the best franchises in the NFL, the ones that win consistently. They do this by winning around the edges. Famously, the Patriots, as well as others, work tackling drills almost every single day. They have much lower rate of missed tackles because of this. It will be interesting to see how fewer padded practices will affect the outcome of those types of teams. Will it make coaches more or less valuable? The ones that pound skills into players will have much less time to do that now. And finally, the new NFL playoff format should lead to major transformations in how the game is played. The one seed just became so much more valuable, while the two seed became less. Over the past several years, the bye week has been enormously important for winning the Super Bowl. In fact, no team without a bye week has won the Super Bowl since 2012. Will we see fewer two seeds win, meaning more one seeds will win? The best teams in the easiest divisions may be rewarded in this new system, even more than they have been in recent history. But more playoff football should be a good bit of fun, so it's hard to be too down on it. All in all, a new CBA will usher in a new era of football in the NFL, which could be a good thing, but it could also be a not-so-good thing. Only time will tell. Thank you for listening to The Front Office. I'm Cole Miller. Thank you.